This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your host, Peter Korchnak. In this episode, I will continue exploring Yugoslav socialist monuments. Efforts have been made and some are still underway to catalog and map the thousands of World War II monuments scattered across former Yugoslavia. While a handful of these monuments are the spectacular spomeniks that circulate online, primarily in Western media and on Instagram, the vast majority go unnoticed by visitors from abroad, quietly continuing their memory work in the local communities. Here to help construct the narrative on these issues is my guest Vladana Putnik-Prica, an art historian at the University of Belgrade. She specializes in the history of 20th century architecture in Yugoslavia, including World War II monuments, especially in the region of today's Serbia. Vladana participated in efforts to map World War II monuments from the Yugoslav socialist era. In some of my research, I found there are about 12,000 memorials, memorial sites in the entire former Yugoslavia. Like other researchers and documentarians, Vladana finds the outside interest in these monuments problematic. You have foreigners who, who started coming and exploring these monuments and perceiving them uh, in a completely different manner. Further complicating the issue are the generational differences among the citizens of former Yugoslavia in their view of monuments. The older generation somehow did not feel that they are so important. As with so many people who dedicate their professional lives to former Yugoslavia, there's more to studying architecture and monuments than meets the eye. So I still feel these emotions especially for the music. Partisans, Miodrag Živković, and almost inevitably Lepa Brena also make an appearance. Vladana Putnik Prica, you study World War II monuments from the Yugoslav era. How many were there in socialist Yugoslavia? How many are left today? In some of my research, I found there are about 12,000 memorials, memorial sites in the entire former Yugoslavia. I'm not sure if that's the exact number. Maybe it's more, but I really feel that it's probably close to reality because when we started doing field research, we realized that you have hundreds of memorial sites in each town, in each municipality. So it could easily be 12,000 or more. Is there a comprehensive list or a catalog or a map even? I was part of the Serbian research group for an international project called Inappropriate Monuments. It was uh, the idea of a team from Croatia because they felt that their monuments were pretty much endangered and they really have a, a significant problem with uh, historic revisionism. I mean, we also have that, but not as much as they do. So they tried to form groups in all the former republics so we can make a project. And we, we started good. It lasted for two years. Then we had an exhibition about uh, monuments and tourism, uh, which was uh, very interesting. It was called Putevima Revolucija, on the paths of revolution. And then we wanted to map all the, the monuments, memorials, memorial plaques, everything we could find in each republic and make an interactive map. I wonder whether the socialist regime attempted to map the monuments. I find a partial answer in books like Putovima Revolucije, the namesake, and perhaps inspiration for the Inappropriate Monuments exhibition, 
1979 monograph of monuments in Croatia published by Turistkomerc Zagreb. Bades Vladana underscored, before the internet, any efforts to comprehensively catalog 12,000 monuments and memorials, some the size of a desk, other simple wall plaques, while there was the business of building socialism to attend to, were bound to be partial at best. And today, insufficient funding, competing priorities, and lack of interest, especially in the political level, stand in the way of cataloging efforts. Unfortunately, it was a huge job, and it could not be done in a year. It somehow was left unfinished because the project ended, and we could not get more funding. But still, we we did a lot. Uh, we had a team of uh, young art historians and architects who, who did the research and went to every village, every forest, because some of the locations are, are very difficult to find. So you would basically have to uh, search for a local guide or someone like a shepherd who said, oh, I know it's there in the woods, I will take you. There were lots of interesting stories uh, with the locals and how they perceived these memorials, especially in the villages. If the village was like a partisan village, they would take great care of the memorials. But if the village was a Chetnik village, they would try to make it disappear. Well, not aggressively, but just it, it would not be in a good condition. There were six principal sides in World War II on the territory of Yugoslavia. Italy, Nazi Germany, Ustasha of the independent state of Croatia, which was Italy's and Germany's satellite state, Chetniks, or the former kingdom's royalist and to a large extent Serbian nationalist army, Partisans, a guerrilla force led by the Communist Party of Yugoslavia, fighting everywhere against all of the above, and, to a very limited extent and in late stages, Soviet Union's Red Army. In different territories and at different times, different municipalities supported different sides of the world and civil wars, partisans, Chetniks, Ustasha, and so on, which then impacted how the communities cared for monuments and memorials built by the post-war regime. So that was a very good experience for all of us to see the true condition of these memorials. Because, for example, the institutes for historic sites, they have some data that, that is like from the 60s, 70s, and they did not update it since. So, for example, when I did research on Belgrade, there was uh, a huge list, but then one-fourth of them disappeared. We don't know what happened to them. On the other hand, there was a small portion of uh, memorials that were not on the list because they probably did not have enough time to go and do all the field work and update their list. So when we did that, we found a lot of interesting moments. But I really feel because all the big memorial sites, memorial parks are in the focus because, of course, of, because they're monumental works uh, and their artistic value is very significant for, for our art and architecture. But all these small uh, memorials, uh, memorial plaques, they, they're also very interesting and also very significant for us. I think... Uh, Sanja Horvatinčić talked about the fact that really a small portion of all the 
productivity of, of these uh, memorial sites are these monumental memorial sites. And the vast majority are these small ones which somehow seem unimportant for this global image of uh, Spomenik. Touring around towns and villages in every former Yugoslav Republic on my way from A to B, I have this habit, almost a compulsion. As I approach the center, where typically a square or park is located, I slow down and quickly scan the scene to locate a memorial, then park the car, inspect the site, snap a photo or two, and move on. With many of the larger, more monumental, architectural pieces, the script gets flipped. Because they're typically located in rural, far-flung areas where World War II battles they commemorate took place, the big monuments become a destination. The partisans had this guerrilla mode fighting, so they were mostly hiding in the woods and attacking. And the fact that the territory of uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina has these beautiful landscapes, well, sublime nature, but very difficult to <laughs> to approach sometimes, somehow added to to this entire atmosphere of these memorial sites. I think they would not be the same if, if it wasn't for the landscape. And we have to think about the fact that, for example, Tientište, it's not only sculptural composition, but it's also landscape architecture. So when we talk about these monuments, they're not only sculptures, but they're also like architecture, landscape ar architecture. It's more than just a simple monument. It's more than that. And I think that's the, the reason why they are so interesting to people now and, of course, for researchers as well. These monuments are built atop inclines or hills where you have to hike up a road or a staircase in a manner reminiscent of a pilgrimage. And once you reach them, the connection to a deity or the afterlife, something greater than yourself than you might feel when you reach the final station of the cross, translates at these futuristic-looking monuments to a sense, a reminder of victory, of the brighter future made possible by the sacrifices of those who gave their lives on site. Well, your observations are spot on, <laughs> in my opinion, because you really have that feeling of modern pilgrimage. And I think that was the idea, because people went there and tried to pay their respects to the fallen soldiers. It was by no chance created in this way. On the other hand, they were built to be timeless. That was the idea. Not to commemorate just this event and this idea, but somehow to overcome that particular event or ideology they were somehow more like memorials to people in general or to a civilization and when you for example when you read what Bogdan Bogdanovich wrote about his projects his idea was oh i like the fact that uh, nobody pushed me to put the five pointed star like as a as a symbol of uh, communism and of course the symbol of Yugoslavia and i could do whatever i liked and i wanted to to make something that would be timeless really both uh, relatable to the past and uh, for the future because you have that really that feeling that the idea was that they lived in the society and build a society that would be left for the future generations to look upon these monuments as something timeless and still 
relevant for them even after many decades or centuries. And yet, while many monuments are well maintained in Serbia, Kadinjača say, a lot of them stand neglected or have been damaged or outright destroyed. Today we have different forms of uh, devastation. So it's not only like during the 90s and during the war, especially in Croatia. I think there is like a third of the memorials was destroyed during the war. And I think that's the most extreme example. It's not the same in other republics. So you have the situation that it was destroyed because of politics, ideology. Then you have uh, the, the situation with decay. So they are, they are not uh, destroyed, but they were left to just f- fall apart and they are neglected. And you have the third situation with historic revisionism. So they are now trying, not only in Serbia, but in other republics as well, to somehow alter the history and try to make it more to their likings. So the the fact that the church is intervening in already well-constructed sites is a little bit troubling for me because the initial idea was that these people died. They were mostly partisans, communists. Uh, religion had nothing to do with that. So why build a church? I mean, I'm not against religion, but I'm against these interventions that are somehow, I don't know, it's, it should not be done like that. Because you had an initial idea by the artist, by the uh, the committee, and th- this was a product of its time. And now you, you're trying to change it. That's not good. The monument at Austra near Čačak, Serbia, stands in its metal glory, pointing to the sky at an angle. But the entrance of the Spomeni complex, the stairs, the inscription wall, is crumbling, the lettering missing, and worst, a Serbian Orthodox church now blocks the overgrown path to the actual memorial sculpture. So you have to skirt the temple to see the Spomenik. It's really like in your face. Yeah. Uh, and they did not ask anyone. And of course, uh, the artist, Miodrag Živković, is not very satisfied <laughs> with that because it, it completely changes everything, the whole atmosphere. Yeah, so it's it's really not a good solution. It was built as one idea, and now you want to insert your ideas. Miodrag Živković, who died in July at the age of 92, was one of the most famous creators of Yugoslav socialist monuments. Ostra is one of his relatively minor works. His best-known monuments include the one at Tientište, near Foča in eastern Bosnia and Herzegovina, and at Kadinjača, near Užice, Serbia. The issue is that future generations who will come and see it, they will interpret it falsely. They will think these were people who were, for example, Christians, Orthodox Christians. They were religious. They will probably think they fought for some other ideas. So I think that's something that is important to, to note. Maybe there were, but that, that was not important at that point. So they're somehow trying to erase the fact that in general, the, the socialist state was somehow behind all the projects and, well, mostly these were the societies of the the fighters from the Second World War and they 
chose how they wanted to be represented. So why change their ideas? <laughs> the battles commemorated at Tintishten Kadinyacha make an appearance in a 1975 song by the children's choir Kolibri, or Hummingbirds, called Dania Bila Zelengore, or loosely, If It Weren't for the Battle at Zelengore. The song's premise is, basically, if the bloody, victorious World War II battles at Kozara, Zelengora, Kadinyacha, Sutjeska did not take place, Yugoslavia wouldn't have the good life it enjoys now. A sample line goes, Would the sun shine brighter if it weren't for the battle at Kadinyacha? Vladana, you also dedicate some of your work to contrasting the ways foreign visitors and tourists and locals of different generations perceive and process the Yugoslav World War II monuments. Can you elaborate on that? Foreigners do not perceive these memorials the same way we do. I mean, we from the perspective of uh, people who were born and raised in Yugoslavia. And even younger and older generations have a different perspective. There are many prejudices. Either people are too nostalgic and uh, see everything in a more pleasant manner than it was really the case, or they have some issues and do not feel about this period as something important and worth remembering. The older generation somehow did not feel that they are so important. They were taken as uh, students on excursions, and somehow that narrative, uh, that ideology was served to them, and they did not feel that that was something genuine, maybe a little bit artificial. So, for example, when I started doing research on Kadinacha, so that was one of my first articles, one of my first researches, I told my mother and she said, well, why did you do that? Why is that important? She felt it was insignificant. But 
when I showed her the pictures, the material, and my article, she changed her previous opinion. And she said, I had no idea that was uh, so beautiful, that it was so significant, and it had a huge impact on sculpture, on, on the way people chose to to somehow immortalize uh, some events in history. So that was interesting for her to see it from a different perspective. But many people who were actually born and raised in, in Yugoslavia felt that that's something unimportant. Of course, not everyone. You always have different opinions. But I really think that for example, my generation who was born and a little bit raised in Yugoslavia, but we were kids when the war broke and the complete disintegration of the country, we are less burdened by that ideology. So we can, I think we can do a more objective uh, research on these topics. What about the cohort in between yours and your parents? Well, I think they were probably uh, struck most of all the generations, the, the one that's in the middle, people who were born, born in the 70s, because they were young people, students when the war broke, so they were really devastated by the entire crisis and everything, and they had to go to a war that most of them did not want to fight. So many of them went abroad or even I know people who deserted from the battlefield because they did not want to fight or they just uh, were hiding. And on, on the other side, you, you have foreigners who, who started coming and exploring these monuments and perceiving them uh, in a completely different manner, lacking any historic narratives, and primarily thinking about their artistic values. I really feel that people, I mean, they have their right to feel the way they feel if, if this work of art associates them with, I don't know, spaceships. That's absolutely their right to, to feel that way. So I have, I have no objection to that because each person, uh, should have a personal, uh, relationship with the work of art. It's completely okay with me. But on the other hand, they should be informed about their subtext, about their, uh, history, what they represent. We should try to, make people who live here in the post-Yugoslav space think about these monuments as works of art because they always see the politics and ideology as the first thing that pops into their minds. So they're a little bit blinded with that sometimes. But try to to think about them as, as works of art and do the reverse with the foreigners. The first thing they see is art and they feel certain emotions and that that's wonderful, but it should not be without some information about their history. Some of my colleagues, it offends them that people who are foreigners uh, interpret this architecture or art. I do not feel like that because everyone has the right to feel 
different forms of art architecture so it's it's their right and i think it's good because it raises a lot of questions and debates and we will probably have uh, better conclusions about this entire period what's your relationship to yugoslavia what does yugoslavia mean to you I have an excellent memory, so I, I remembered the exact day when they announced the war on the television. It was my mom's birthday, and I just remember everything. And I know it started from Slovenia, and they reported that there were these uh, unpleasant events. And I was scared, and I asked my parents, will the war come to us? And that to us, the idea was to our street because I had no perception of <laughs> uh, space and how far uh, Slovenia was from our house. And they said, no, 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 it, it will not come. Of course, I remembered the period of uh, crisis because I started uh, my school in 1993 when the inflation was up the roof. So... You could not buy anything, and it was a very difficult. <clears throat> sorry, it was a very difficult time. Fortunately, my parents were sane enough to somehow spare me from all, all the terrible things that were happening. So I somehow found out about everything only later. But my uh, memories of uh, Yugoslavia were, for example, I learned to. Th there were some patriotic songs about Yugoslavia that were recorded during the 80s and I loved to to sing these uh, songs about Yugoslavia and there is even a recording of me singing one of the songs which I forgot in the meantime and maybe a couple of years ago I heard it somewhere and I felt oh my god this is the song I remember it it's uh, called Od Vardara pa do Yes, yes, and I, I love that song, but also all the songs about uh, even Lepa Brena Yugoslovenka, I, I, it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> so I still feel these emotions, especially for the music. And of course, our national, uh, national, the, the state hymn, uh, Hey Sloveni, which is, of course, I mean, it has uh, a deeper history, especially with uh, Slovakia. And I mean, it was basically a Slavic song, a pan-Slavic song, uh, which we took. And we still, for example, my generation, when we hear that hymn, we we are all like, we know it by heart and you, you feel something special. While on the other hand, the new hymn, which was the old one from before the Second World War, I feel nothing. Unfortunately. <laughs> the instrumental version of Hey Sloveni forms the jingle of this podcast and a horn arrangement of Odvardara Pado Triglava the outro. And Lepa Brena's Yugoslovenka, or a Yugoslav woman, already made an appearance in a previous episode in my conversation with Petar Janjatovic. The song is simply that notorious. But I feel that people in all the former republics still love that period when we were together, especially the socialist period where this idea of brotherhood and unity was uh, really well lived through. Unfortunately, we are no longer one country, but I think we can still uh, work together and uh, be good neighbors and collaborate. 
The only problem is when politicians uh, use this conflict that was really like a long time ago now for their political points. So that's the sad part. The problem with daily politics at the moment in most of the countries is the fact that politicians do not have a firm vision of the future, so they are trying to make political points referring to a glorious past, and that is really connected to like this revisionism. And, of course, they somehow feel that it's easier for them to glorify one past than to figure out what they are going to do with the future. So that is a problem, really. How many monuments or memorials I visit and document on my travels through former Yugoslavia, in forests and mountains and villages and towns and cities, I realize documenting all of them is truly a monumental task. The more I travel, the more my admiration grows for those precious few people who catalog them, who map them, or at least try to, for these essential laborers of memory work. Especially in the winter, I can have the best known, the biggest, the most spectacular monuments all to myself. I roam the grounds, circling the structures, the stone, the concrete, the metal, to etch the memory before me into mine. I touch them the way I see nature lovers in the U.S. touch trees, with an open hand and mind and heart, with awe and humility and presence. When there are other visitors at the Spomenik, I scan their vehicle license plates, their faces, and I must admit, I eavesdrop on their conversations. And I play a little game. Who is local? Who is from another ex-Yugoslav Republic? Who is from further away? And what do each of us think about when we take in the sight, when we see one another do the same thing? And why are we even here? I don't wax philosophical for too long. There's another Spomenik to see down the road. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Check out the show notes at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast for links, photos, and ways to subscribe and support the podcast. Speaking of, if you wish to make a monumental contribution to the building of Remembering Yugoslavia's bright future, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast listening app or support us on Patreon. Transcript by Zorica Popovic. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric. Additional music by NoSense licensed under Creative Commons. The song by Colibri used solely for educational and informational purposes. I am Peter Korchniak. Ciao. <laughs>